Oh, I had to hold it together when she was singing that song, He Knows My Name. Tasha Cobbs. How he walks with me. How he talks to me. He touches me. He knows my name. In other words, I'm recognized with him. You know how powerful that is? You go into a Chick-fil-A, what's the first question they ask you? Uh, what is the name on the order? You go ahead and order something off of Amazon, whose name is on the card? And he knows my name. Don't play with this. Don't play with this. Don't act like you're going to be here forever. Last time I came here, there were two individuals here who had a profound impact on my life. Johnny Coleman and Helen Carey. I'm going all over the place with this manuscript, trying to pull everything together and trying to get the mindset. And it wasn't Napoleon Hill, it was Andrew Carnegie who passed that on to Napoleon Hill. Hill didn't know nothing. Hill was a part-time student at Georgetown University. He didn't know anything. And what did Carnegie say? Ain't nothing new about new thought. Man, that's the only thought. What did he tell Napoleon Hill? He said, I don't care who you are. You were blessed to come here, and you had two envelopes in your hand. One envelope of all the blessings, all the success, all the achievement, if you can just use your mind to a positive direction. On the other hand, it's a penalty if you don't direct your mind. And here I am in Chicago. There was no Amazon. There was no online. You had one choice and one choice only. Go to B. Dalton, so that was it. And I'm trying to find the books that these folks were reading. So I go to the manager of B. Dalton's bookstore right in downtown Chicago, and I had a shopping list of books. Florence Scoville Shin. What did Florence Scoville Shin tell us? Whatever you're looking for is looking for you. Whatever you are looking for is looking for you. Was the bell looking for the phone? It was a tire looking for the car. And it's still applicable today. Still applicable today. Microprocessor invented in what? 1970s? And it was looking for the internet. <laughs> Joel Goldsmith, Emily Cady. Neville Goddard. So I asked the bookstore manager, I said, well, if you don't have them, who has them? 
And what did that bookstore manager tell me in the early 1980s? It's only one bookstore I know who would have those titles. I said, who? Says it's a church out there on Ashland Avenue on the other side of Chicago. As God is my witness. So I got a cab. A cab driver, there was no GPS back then. He said, what's the address? I said, man, you tell me. All I know is this, let's just drive. And when I came here, I don't know, I can't remember what door I walked into, and there were folks, a lot of hustle and bustle. And I said to her, can you direct me to that? Somebody said, there's a bookstore here. And young lady took me to the bookstore and blah, blah, blah. And I knew I was in heaven. I knew I was in heaven. I said, oh my God. Oh my God, and I walked out of that bookstore. I didn't have that much money, but I bow-legged from the weight of the books that I had. And that was this church in the early 1980s. Do you know the lives that you have changed? Do you know what you have done? Truth is truth. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Praise God, fellas. I love you, man. Praise God. And if you're of my community, especially to the brothers. But, men, we know the truth. Every day of our history is Father's Day. Remember when I came up here years ago, difference between a man and a boy? Yeah. Because Hannibal, you know, crossed the Alps a thousand years ahead of Napoleon. You are called the father of military science. Because back in the 19th century, 1800s, Benjamin Banneker fashioned the first clock. They call you father time. Because uh, W.C. Handy and Duke Ellington Go, go ahead, man, and created rag and the big bad sound. <laughs> now they call you the father of blues and rhythm and blues. So stand up and be proud. Stand up and be proud. And Juneteenth, that's Monday. Oh, my goodness. Happy Juneteenth. Whoa. And it really wasn't Juneteenth. It really wasn't. Oh, yeah, we well, tell you the story that June 19th, 1865, in Galveston, Texas, about 250,000 slaves were finally recognized and given their freedom. But that act went on all throughout slavery. I mean, all right, January 1st, 1863, you do the calculus, the Emancipation Proclamation, and when Union soldiers, plantations throughout the South told the slave owners, your slaves are free, the president signed the proclamation. They withheld it from slaves, a number of plantation owners, to let them keep on working, to make sure they get another harvest. So if you know what 
you have done. And how do we get here? Oh my God. I mean, the power and the force behind you is always greater than the obstacles before you. And we leaned on that. So to the fathers, happy Father's Day, happy Juneteenth. He knows my name. Oh, Mike and Reverend McDowell, your prayer. Brother, if you get laryngitis and don't utter another word, you saw me, you see me taking notes over there, bro? I got my little notes right back there in here. I got my notes. Now, you know what I do for a living. I'm a school teacher, college professor. I bring you greetings from my school, Clark Atlanta University, School of Business. I told one of uh, Reverend McDowell's assistants, I said, I never had a black school teacher in my life. From kindergarten to PhD, no one from Rhythm Nation has ever stood before me and taught me. So. <laughs> I never attended an HBCU, undergrad, University of Oklahoma, graduate work right here in the Chicago area, Northwestern University. But for 72 years, I've been historically black, so I got to put it the way it is. Now, why do I teach at an HBCU? Well, because the kids that I stand before every Tuesday and Thursday just look like my kids at home. At home. So I bring you greetings. Clark Atlanta University School of Business, if you haven't heard about our grand institution. Consolidation of two schools. Atlanta University, the oldest black graduate school in the nation. What do you know about Atlanta University? Well, your most prolific scholar, W.B. Du Bois, taught there. Oh, and I'm going to get to my message. <laughs> W.E.B. Du Bois, your most prolific scholar, taught there. And for the nine years that he taught at Atlanta University, he taught history, he taught civics, he taught sociology, he taught economics. The man even taught Greek. And for three of the nine years that he was there, he was university chaplain. And back then, there was no business school. There was no degree in business. All it was was economics. It was arts and science. And he taught economics. And the students would come in after the weekend, and they would say, good morning, Dr. Du Bois. How are you? How was your weekend, Dr. Du Bois? Good morning. And what was Booker T. Washington's response? Paideia, 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 always paideia. What in the world is paideia? Paideia is the Greek term for scholarship. Paideia is the Greek term for learning. Paideia is the Greek term for knowledge, for wisdom, for understanding, for education. And what was he trying to transmute into the students? That this journey that we call life, what is it? It's one big classroom. And it's unlike any classroom that you've ever been in. Why? Because you're not only the student, but you're the teacher. So teach yourself well, 
What does the Bible tell you? In all things, gain understanding. Gain knowledge, gain wisdom. And so there's Clark Atlanta University, right there at the AU Center, right in the middle between Spelman College and Morehouse College. Spelman College, founded in 1881, 1881, our whole school for Christ. You come into my office in the School of Business at Wright Hall, you take about 300, 400, maybe 500 steps to your right, and you find yourself smack dab in the middle of Morehouse College, found in the basement of a Baptist church in 1867. So those business students, economic students who walk in W.B. Du Bois' class, and they said, Dr. Boys, what are we going to study today? Are we going to study supply and demand? And net present value is a finance term now. He said none of that. He would pick up his Bible, and he would read Scripture. And he would read Scripture because he knew. And what did he know? I didn't choose to be here, and you didn't choose to be here. But baby girl, you were chosen. You were chosen, so do what you've been sent here to do. Do what you've been sent here to do. In other words, the Bible says, complete thy noble task. And if I learned anything from Helen Carey, and if I learned anything from Dr. Coleman, oh my God, you came into this world empty, and you've got one assignment. When you leave this world, you better be empty. Don't take all the chaos and confusion that this world has here today. As you are admonished in the New Testament, go into your prayer closet and close the door. Now that doesn't mean you close the door and ask your prayer closet, but it means you close off all this nonsense and chaos and confusion that we hear on a daily basis. To Robin Mack, Carolyn Arthur, your fine team and whatever, thank you very much. I am humbled and I am honored. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for bestowing me with your greatest gift the power to change my mind and take control of my thoughts. No matter what surrounds me, no one but me can determine what I choose to think, say, or do. When I believe in the power of love, I'm more likely to see it. And when I believe in belief over doubt and healing over heartbreak, and miracles I believe I will experience in them. Father, I ask you to wash the mud out of my eyes and reveal the vision for our life. May we see beyond the probable to what we know in our heart is possible. Allow us to refocus and hold the vision you created us to be. Today I will look through a different lens and recognize that we are not in this world to set it right. You and I are in this world to see it rightly. So let 
us see in the name of Jesus all the believers said amen. Wow. So what have I been doing before I get to my message and I'm looking at that clock because I want to be a good soldier, Reverend McDowell. I do, bro. But it's been a while since I've been here and you know what I do for a living, so put your pads down, get your pencils because I teach. I teach. So what have I been doing since the last time we chatted while I've been going around the country? Some of you may have read my books, recognized my books, my last book, The Wealth Choice, seven years study on black millionaires. That's all I did for seven years. Interviewed them, held focus groups, and I used a survey and asked these black millionaires 118 questions. And you name them, and I probably interviewed them. But the fact of the matter is, in my study, I found about four common chords. At the end of the book, you'll see seven laws that they abide by. But basically, it comes down to the big four. And just like Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill came up with 17 different principles for success. Number one, definiteness of purpose. Number 17, cosmic habit force. That shows that he has been taught. When you start talking about cosmic habit force, what is that? That is the force of the universe. That is the force of the universe. I mean, you're the lamp, but God's the electricity. And your creator doesn't care if the lamp is white, if it's blue, if it's red, if it's pink, if it's green. Your creator doesn't care. If the light is wood, if the light is metal, if the light is plastic, if the light is glass, the only thing on the mind of the Almighty is that you plug the lamp in. That's cosmic habit force. So he tells you the only reason why he came up with principle five, which is pleasing personality, through 17 cosmic habit force, is to get you to use the first four. Definiteness of purpose, mastermind, booyah, your net worth will be, you know, uh, in correlation with your network. Applied faith, and what does he mean by applied faith? Faith is not an act. Faith is visionary. Faith is visionary. Dr. Martin Luther King takes the first step when you don't even see the staircase. And these millionaires, plenty of faith. Plenty of faith. You doubt me? I interviewed Bob Johnson of BET twice. In 1980, when that brother came up with black entertainment television, he knew he wouldn't be on the air longer if he didn't have a major sponsor. So no matter where he was, throughout the hinterland trying to go ahead and get his fledgling cable station out there on the airwaves twice a month, he would always fly back to Chicago, rent a car, and drive to Oak Brook, Illinois, and sit in the lobby of McDonald's. Didn't have an appointment with anybody. He would just sit in the lobby of McDonald's, hoping and praying that he would bump into somebody either in the marketing or the advertising department so he can pitch his fledging cable station. Baby, that's faith with hair on it. That's applied faith. Faith is visionary. 
So definite is the purpose, mastermind, applied faith, and going the extra mile. What did Hill mean when he said go the extra mile? You do what you're supposed to do, what do you get? Well, baby girl, you get a paycheck. But if you're going above and beyond what you're supposed to do, uh, girlfriend, you get opportunity. And the universe is always on the side of opportunity. Well, what are the four common cores that I found? These folks dream big dreams. They had a dream, a vision, something that they desperately wanted to accomplish in life. Number two, they were inner-directed versus outer-directed. In other words, they weren't so quick to believe well-meaning friends or family members who said, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, they walked to a beat of a different drummer. They walked to a beat of a different drummer. What did Henry David Thoreau say? Don't die with your music left in you. Henry David Thoreau was the number one student of Ralph Waldo Emerson. Henry David Thoreau, in his latter years of life, he was incarcerated up in the New England area. Why? Because he refused to pay his income taxes because he didn't like the way blacks and Native Americans were being treated. He said, I ain't paying taxes for this. He didn't throw me in jail, sir. Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson found out that his number one student was incarcerated, and he went down to the prison to see him. And when he walked down to the prison and saw Henry David Thoreau on the other side of the, other side of the gate, he said, my God, Henry, what in the world are you doing in there? And what did Henry David Thoreau say to his number one teacher? He said, Dr. Emerson, what are you doing out there? <laughs> hmm. Well, good enough for Henry David Thoreau, good enough for me. I tell my students the same thing as the rapper, too short. It's been way too long, time for the whole world to play this song. When students come in my class, they're going to play my music. They're going to play my music. There I am with Ambassador Andy Young, and I said, Mr. Ambassador, who had the greatest effect on your life before I could get the question out? He said, Benjamin Mays. I said, I just knew you were going to say Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, of all the people that you met, why Dr. Benjamin Mays? I'm not knocking it. But why Dr. Benjamin Mays? He said, because you can always tell when a student was taking a class at Morehouse from Dr. Benjamin Mays. I said, what do you mean? He said, you can see him running across the quad. He said, because Benjamin Mays only had two rules in his classroom. Rule number one, he would always correct your English. And there are the juniors and seniors, the hot shot, and I've been, I spoke 50 million times over Morehouse. <laughs> Man, why is this guy correcting my English? That's whack. And Dr. Mays would reply, would you rather have me correct your English or a prospective employer correct your English? See, they're having that problem right now with Generation Z. And I, got, I, got, I love Generation Z. Come on, man, you guys, man. You never look up from your cell phones, man. No problem, man. I got uh, but my exams are not online, okay? <laughs> So I love Generation Z. But they say Generation Z doesn't know how to communicate. And then number two, Benjamin Mays said, I don't care on the roll book, in the syllabus, in the catalog, class was due to start at 1 o'clock. If he got there at 12.45, that door was closed. On time is late. Late is on time and early. Well, early is fired. Late is fired, excuse me. 
And he made every student the first assignment they had to memorize that old poem. And don't you know, I have bumped into Morehouse grads who Benjamin Mays had them recite that poem. I've only just a minute, 60 seconds in it. Force upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But I know that I must use it. I'll suffer if I lose it. Pay account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but my life is in it. Now, what does that have to do with us, CUT? We're not going to be here forever. Time is not running out. What do they say? The average lifespan is, what, 77 now? Women, you're in the 80s. Time is not running out, but your life is. So the critical question, what are you going to do with the rest of life that you have left? Well, let's move on right here. If you'd be so kind to turn to your Bibles. And I hope they put this up on the screen behind me. Let's go to John 9. And let me read it to you. Verse 1 of John 9, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're asking him what was the cause of his blindness. What was the cause of his blindness? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It was the same thing with the pandemic. Look, I'm an old hack. I'm 72 years old. I've been, COVID, COVID was my third pandemic. I remember when I was four years old and my mom and dad took me down to the Board of Health in New Jersey to get the polio vaccine. And baby girl, that was a real vaccine. I got the, I got the battle scar on that arm. Uh, that vaccine had hair on it. That bear boy had teeth in it. No problem, I can handle it. And then, three years later, the Board of Health in New Jersey gave my parents a, you know, a choice. Do you want to bring your child down to the Board of Health again, or do you want your child inoculated into school? And that was for tuberculosis. And my parents opted out, uh, he can go ahead and get the vaccine in school. And I remember the school nurse coming to my class, and back then, again, I'm older than a lot of folks in here, the school nurse was really a nurse. <laughs> Starts, dressed, white hosiery, big old cloudy shoes, and the hat, and we just went. It was really a school night. And my wife, uh, unfortunately, we had uh, family members on her side who never got the vaccine, and uh, they transitioned. So that is my third. And then you come to Atlanta. Again, going back to what Jesus said. Everybody wants to know the cause and this, that, and everything. <laughs> Bruh. Everybody wants to know about poverty. No, let's discuss wealth. Let's discuss abundance. You know, I mean, you know, come on. Sickness is not the absence of health. Health is the absence of sickness. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. Poverty is not the absence of wealth. Wealth is the absence of poverty. So everybody wants to know the cause. And I tell my students, I said, you know, you come with me to Atlanta at the end of the day, and I can take you to the CDC. And the Center for Disease Control, right behind Emory, they track the top 400 diseases throughout the world every day. Did you know that? 
They track the top 400. Now you go clear across the world and you go to the World Health Organization. They don't track the top 400, they track the top 10,000 diseases and afflictions. So I tell my hotshot, know-it-all business students, I said, don't you know, every hour those two health organizations, you know, they track the top 10,400 diseases and afflictions. But here's the good news, students. Not one was created by God. This is what Jesus is telling them right here. Not one was created by God. My students say, well, Dr. Kimbrough, If God didn't create those diseases, who did? I said, child, you did. Excuse me, you did. Maybe that's why the Lord blew breath in your lungs. Because everybody knows, research tells us, 50% of all diseases caused a lack of adequate drinking water. Maybe the Lord placed you here so you can go to a far remote area of Bangladesh and dig a well. You don't know. You doubt me? I mean, look at those black communities up there in Flint, Michigan, still dealing with that. Lack of adequate drinking water and got everything. Going to CVS, Walgreens, and they pick everything off the shelf. You doubt me? Go to Jackson, Mississippi right now. You did. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is this day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I am the world. I am the light of the world. And he goes on to say, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man. Go watch in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and watched and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Scroll down to verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now I see. They admonished Jesus for this miracle on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And what was his response? The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And do you even know the Sabbath? I mean, the Sabbath for Christians, well, it's Sunday. For Jewish Americans, for Jews, Saturday. Muslims, Friday. I've been all over the world. All over the world, I've interacted with other cultures, other tribes, other people. Some Sabbath is Monday, some Sabbath is Tuesday, some. So what's the Sabbath? The Sabbath is every day. 
The Sabbath is every day. Every day, what we're being told, every day, take time out to refocus. Take time out. Cut the noise off, cut the chaos, cut the confusion. Take time out to realign. David, with thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. I and the Father are one. Take time to re-engineer. Take time to recalibrate. Take time out of every day to know who you are. Because when you look at it today, Okay, when Mark Zuckerberg came up with Facebook, when Chad Hurley came up with YouTube, when Kevin Sinstrom came up with Instagram, when Reed Hoffman came up with LinkedIn, when Evan Spiegel came up with Snapchat, when Jack Dorsey came up with Twitter, they didn't come up with those social media platforms so you and I can just go crazy and just gossip all day. They came up with those social media platforms for you and I to change the world. For you and I to change the world. C-U-T, please say it with me. He anointed my eyes. One, two, three. He One more time. He my eyes. When I was a young child, my mother told me, if you want to be great and successful, you must walk hand in hand, side by side, with great and successful people. Thank God, mother. And who would know better than her? My mother was a nanny. My mother was a nanny. She took care of wealthy white children. Though we weren't wealthy, we weren't affluent. We were barely what, lower middle class. If you took my mother and my father's paycheck and put it together over the time of their life on this earth, you wouldn't get close to, what, $10,000 a year. But she knew a little bit about wealth because she saw it on a daily basis. Though we were far from wealthy and affluent, my mother, in her best version, tried to anoint my eyes. And so throughout my writings and academic career, more than 30 years I've been in the pit, more than 30 years I've been in the classroom doing this, going around the country interviewing folks, and I like to say that I got a chance to interview them all, everybody from Steve Harvey, Tyler Perry. As a matter of fact, Steve Harvey spoke in my class. Ayano Van Zant spoke in my class. Tyrese Gibson spoke in my class. Rachel Robinson, Jackie Robinson's widow. And I remember I had a chance to interview her and I said, Ms. Robinson, what is it like being married to the man who broke the color barrier in baseball? And she said to me, well, Jack only lived by one rule. And I said, what is that? She said, excellence is the norm, not the exception. Whoa. But I only wanted to find the answers to two questions. Number one, why does one person succeed while another fails? And number two, why is one individual rich and wealthy while another is impoverished? So I took a deep dive into the research about success and achievement. A deep dive into the research. And I discovered a few key insights about success and achievement. And it's time for us as humans to be honest with ourselves. 
You know, I discovered a few key insights about success and achievement, and often occurs to me that you and I are living far beneath our power as individuals and our possibilities as believers. We really are. You know, each of us could be 10 times more powerful, 10 times more bountiful, 10 times more wonderful than what we really are. We could be 10 times more happy, more free, more active, more alive, more alert, more spiritual, more faithful, more loving, more giving, more Christ-like, more God-like than what we are. The fact of the matter is, studies have revealed that we use less than 10% of our brain capacity. And furthermore, we use less than 10% of our spiritual capacity. And the other 80% goes unused and unfulfilled. And ironically, when Napoleon Hill was writing his final book at the time of his death, his transition, which became Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, there was another theory going on at the same time at the University of Pennsylvania. A psychologist, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania came up with a theory called learned helplessness. What in the world is learned helplessness? Well, it's a negative state of mind in which an individual believes that he or she has no control over their life, no control over the outcomes, no control over the conditions of their life. Their self-esteem is low or non-existent, low motivation, lack of persistence, lack of conviction, and no vision for the future. And I came to this after reading this and studying this, and I said, oh my God. Individuals with learned helplessness, well, they're not visually impaired. They're spiritually lacking sight. Well, C-U-T, Christ Universal Temple. Thank God that today we are going to anoint the eyes. And everybody out there in cyberspace, Let's go get the mud out of your eyes today. And the perfect example, when we can see the power of God's light, when we can see the power of having an experience with the Almighty, we are similar to the sunflower. When a sunflower is exposed to the brilliant rays of the beaming sun, that flower opens up beautifully. It is a beautiful plant when exposed to the sun. But when the sunflower goes down and the sunflower can no longer see the sun, it closes up and dries up. Well, so it is with us, C-U-T. As long as we can see and know and pursue the divine vision, Florence Scoville Shin, and live within the sunlight of God's spirit, all of our possibilities are open, all of our channels are free, all of our powers are wondrously alive. Our minds are activated, accentuated, elevated, and we can live and walk in the light and the power that streams to us and through us. But when we walk in the shadows of dismal doubt, damp denial, dumb disbelief, depressing despair, we droop and drop. Our possibilities are closed. Our channels are clogged. The powers are diminished. 
Our hopes are frustrated and our minds are dead and dull in this learned helplessness and we are tragically truncated and frustrated and like a sunflower hidden from the sun, we close up and dry up. And when we get in that condition, the only thing that we can say is I can't. When we get in that condition, I don't care if you're shopping in the mall, I don't care if you're filling up your car, I don't care if you're at a grocery store line, I don't care if you're in school, I don't care if you're at work, that's all we hear from these folks today is I can't. Well, who taught you that? I can't pray, I can't tithe my money, I can't listen to my pastor, I can't stay in church till the service is over, I can't find a job, I can't finish school, I can't go to college, I can't pass my classes, I can't stand my boss, I can't take all this racism, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop smoking, I can't lose this weight, I can't love my wife, I can't honor my husband, you know what, I can't even communicate with my kids, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's all you can say when you don't walk in the sunlight of God's grace. And you heard it from Reverend McDowell when he said God's will. Do you even know what's God's will? If I told you to give me one word that means God, what would you say? You'd probably say love. Well, God is love, right? And what is will? Will is thought. So what is God's will? Think love. Think love. Mary Baker Eddy, perfect love will cast out any burden. Think love. The Ten Commandments, look, the Bible's a very old book. Here it is right here, but it's still ahead of its time. The Ten Commandments weren't written to punish you. The Sabbath's not here for man. Man's for the Sabbath. Sabbath. The Ten Commandments aren't here to punish you. The Ten Commandments are written to protect you. And look how many folks today, because of I can't, can't even get past the first commandment. I am the Lord your God, and you will have no gods before me. Well, if you're telling me that God is love, what do you love before God? Oh, girl, I love those shoes. <laughs> you got some clowns walking around, not going to mention anything. They love their guns before God. Kimber, I love that suit. <laughs> no, you don't love anything, can't love you back. God's love. That's all you hear from folks. So class is in session. We need to abandon this learned hopelessness. Well, thank God that we have a creator who can not only see down the street, he can see around the corner. Thank God that we've got a creator who has 20-20 sight. Two days before I was about to go ahead and come down here, excuse me, come up to Christ Universal Temple, there I am, and I love this movie. I love it. And I know, hey man, they got the flaws and all this, that, and everything. And that's King Richard. King Richard is an excellent example of a divine vision, of anointed eyes. And it's a story of Richard Williams and how he came up with a 78-page plan for his daughters. He had a divine vision. Now, I know, you know, he's got issues, and everybody knows Will Smith got issues. But who doesn't have issues? 
Who doesn't have issues? What were you told in Matthew? I mean, you're, you're looking for the speck in your neighbor's eye and you can't see the moat in yours. Who doesn't have issues? But just focus on the anointed eyes, the divine vision. So he came up with this plan, and the plan really wasn't, the end game really wasn't tennis. It was their academic scholarship. And both of them were excellent students. He had a couple of other daughters that were valedictorians in their high school class. So he knew what he was on. And the toughest thing, when you got a divine vision for your life, when you can see from a distance what others can't see up close, the toughest thing in the world that you can do is to convey your dream, your vision, to a non-believer. And that's what that movie was about. If you don't want to watch that movie, go watch Air. The same thing. That representative from Nike trying to convince even Nike what they had their hands on if they just selected Michael Jordan. Why? He had a divine vision for them. Their eyes were anointed. And all throughout my research of anointed eyes, man, I just look at something. I remember, man, the interview that I had with Steve Harvey. I had a two-hour interview with this man, and he said, well, just come to my office. I'll give you all the time you want. So gracious, so loving. And so I go into his office, talk about anointed eyes. And a lot of folks don't realize the story behind this man. But the story was about his mother who had a divine vision for her son. So I go into his office, administrative assistant grabs me by the elbow and says, Dr. Mom, I'll take you back to his office. Oh my God. You should see the size of his office when he had his office in Buckhead, Atlanta. You should see the size of it. And in his office, he had 55 flat, 55 inch flat screen TVs around all four walls of his office. And what was he doing? He wasn't watching video games. He wasn't watching music videos. He wasn't watching infomercials, whatever. What was coming off those flat screen TV? His goals in every area of his life. So the goal that's right in front of me is to earn $250 million by X amount of months. So his administrative assistant comes back and says, Dr. Campbell, Steve is wrapping up a meeting. He's running a little late. Uh, do you want anything? Water, Coca-Cola? I said, no, I'm fine. We apologize. He's still, Steve, look, really looking forward to this interview and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, one thing you can do for me before you go, I feel like I'm a fly in the wall. Should my eyes see some of this? This looks like, you know, a personal information. Man, that's nowhere. And I said, how doable are these goals? She said, what do you mean? I said, I guess this looks like one of his wealth goals right here. 250 million in what, 36 months? She waved me off. She said, if he doesn't do that in 36 months, he's going to do it in 48 months. And that's before he had the game show. And that's before he had his daytime TV show. But Steve Harvey wouldn't be Steve Harvey if it weren't for his mother. Because they had career day in the fourth grade at his school career day. And every student had to walk to the front of the class and announce to the classmates what they're going to be when they grow up. Little Johnny comes up, I'm going to be a fireman. Little Susie come up, I'm going to be a nurse. Okay, Steve, it's your turn. He steps up, I'm going to be on TV. <laughs> Teacher looked back and said, Steve, you're always cutting up in class. This is a serious exercise. 
Tell your classmates what you're really going to do. I'm going to be on TV. Steve, I will not have any of that. No, I really am going to. Steve, Monday, I want you to think about this over the weekend. Monday, I'm going to call on you, and you're going to come up, and you're going to tell your classmates what you're really going to do for a living. He went home and told his mother what transpired in school. And what did his mother do? Anointed eyes. Anointed eyes. Gave him a legal sheet of paper, told him to go to his room and write his life goals on that sheet of paper. Look at it first time, first thing in the morning. Soon as he gets up, looks at it last thing the night before he goes to bed. He wouldn't be Steve Harvey if it wasn't for that. Good enough for Steve Harvey? Good enough for his two boys. He had twin sons, attended Morehouse. And what did he force his boys to do? I don't care if they had the text, I don't care if they had the tweet, I don't care if they had the email, I don't care if they had the call, but as soon as they wake up in the morning, they had to contact their father and tell him what they're going to do, what goals they had set for that day. At six o'clock in the evening, I don't care if you had the text, tweet, do whatever you got to do, contact your father and tell him what you accomplished that day. That's anointed eyes. That is the true vision for our life. That is the true vision of where we are going and what we have been sent here to do. And it's not about how rich, how wealthy, how abundant, how affluent. As a matter of fact, my books are not about wealth. My books are not about money. My books are not about affluence. My books are about faith and courage. Faith and courage. And you want a deeper understanding of the almighty, the force that is within you, then chase your dreams. Believe in yourself when no one else will. Develop a huge vision for your life. And if you don't know, the Almighty will tell you how we communicate to God through prayer. He communicates to us through intuition. And the only way that you're going to understand as I close this feeble message out is to live in the moment. Live in the moment. I remember what moment you're talking about. Martin Luther King. He got up at the same hour a day every day, 6.15 in the morning. He had the same breakfast, coffee and orange juice. And the first hour of his day, he would go to his book line study. There were 200 books in that book line study. And what would he do? Prayer and devotion. Prayer and devotion. And before he took his final sleep in Memphis, when that 39-year-old head hit that pillow the night before his transition, what was the last thing he did? Prayer and devotion. What are you talking about? Living life between two prayers. Living life between two prayers. Now, I told you the story about W.B. Du Bois, and we're going to close it out with this. If Du Bois can read scripture to his students, what do I do the first day of class? The 
first to that class, my hotshot business students rolling in there. And they think they're going to get my syllabus. No, you don't get my syllabus. I give you something a little bit more important than my syllabus. What do I give my students? I give them the four greatest prayers. Do you even know the four greatest prayers? And if you don't know, you and I need to chat. I need to know why you don't know. Number one, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Heaven's not a location, it's a state of mind. Our Father. I'm in heaven when I'm around my grandchildren. Our Father. They didn't say the black father, white father, Asian father, Hispanic father. Our Father. So what does that mean? We are all interconnected. Dr. Kimber, does that mean I'm my brother's keeper? No. That means you're your, you're your brother's brother. We are all one. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall know, they shall see the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean? You a, you a peacemaker? Does that mean that me and Reverend McDowell, we had words, we had differences, we had an argument, and then we finally shook hands, we hugged, we embraced? No, it doesn't mean that. It means blessed are those with peace of mind. And peace of mind is huge today. You got folks checking out all, oh, don't get it twisted. Just because you got a little cash in here, that ain't got nothing to do with peace of mind. Uh-uh. And what is peace of mind? It's the absence of all negative emotions, fear, anger, jealousy, hatred, guilt, greed. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the kingdom of God. And what is meek? Meek means no ego. It means no ego. Lead us not into temptation. Tempted to do what? To believe that there's any other power outside of God. That's what it means. There's no other force. That's you and your ego thinking that. And what is ego? Edging good God out. That's ego. And don't get me wrong. I like it. It happened to me yesterday. I like it. I'm walking through the airport. Somebody recognized me. Oh, Dr. Kimber, how are you, man? I got your book, man. Blah, blah, blah. Take a selfie with me. I like that. I like it when they bum rush me. Oh, man, the book changed my life, man. I like it when I'm walking down Peachtree Street. Hey, man, give me some down below the horn. Yeah, I like that but I don't need it. Oh, no, 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 not, not the boy, not your boy. I don't need that. Because if you need approval and you don't get it, you're immobilized. I don't need that. Praise God. The Beatitudes number three, Mother Teresa. People may tear down in a day what it took you years to build. Build anyway. Build anyway. Why? Because in the final analysis, it's never between you and them. It's only between you and God. It's only between you and God. And last but not least, St. Francis of Assisi, San Francisco is named after him. Where there is injury, 
let me sow pardon. And where there's doubt, let me sow faith. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this opportunity. The one thing about teaching, if you are a teacher, you learn twice. And I learned so much from giving this message today. Thank you for the believers. Thank you for the achievers. Thank you. Oh, so many things I said today that weren't on my notes, were not on my manuscript, but you led me to say it. And I just hope and hope for a blessing for others. Not how did he die, but how did he live? Not what did he gain, but what did he give? These are the measures to merit the worth of a man, a woman, regardless of birth. Not what was the station, but had they a heart? And how did they play their God-given part? What did Mary tell Martha? He is able. Pastor, come on up here.